Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, wishing you a uh, wonderful post-July 4th holiday. Of course, I refer to that as Independence Day, not just July 4th. Joining me on this edition of the podcast is one of our longtime favorites, Bob Lang. Uh, we're going to welcome Bob in, Bob in, excuse me, in a second. Catch up with him about his uh, holiday plans, but more importantly talk about some observations that he's had about the first half of the year, and we will then kibitz about what's ahead. Not only the second half of the year, earnings prospects, the data we'll be watching, what the Fed may do, you know, pretty much business as usual. With that, hey, Bob, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Chris. Nice to be able to fit you in between a couple of tennis matches that I might have going on today. So, you know me, Mr. Great tennis. tennis? I, I would have thought you would have been at Costco taking advantage of those post-Independence uh, Day deals. Oh, dollar. You know what? I mean, it doesn't matter what the, what the deals are, Chris, at, at Costco. It's that $1.50 hot dog and a drink that gets me every single time. How about you? Uh, well, you know, truth be told, I might have had one of those just last week when I was there loading up ahead of the fourth. So, uh, but, you know, I digress. So, do we, Bob. Do we, do we call you Joey Chestnut? Do you have that many hot dogs or? or, or, or uh, so listener, so listener, Bob's, of course, referring to the Independence Day hot dog, eating, hot dog eating contest challenge done by Nathan's. And I believe Mr. Chestnut swallowed 62 hot dogs. Amazing, isn't it? And it went about 10, 15 minutes or something like that. He, he's he's uh, I don't know where he, I don't know where he puts it, Chris. He looks like he's in pretty good shape. You know, um, I'll say two things, Bob. With your level of enthusiasm about this, you almost sound jealous. But the second part of it is these guys, you know, these professional eaters, not that I watch a lot of this, but it is rather fascinating, whether it's hot dogs, pizza, sundaes, what they can do. Um, believe it or not, they they tend to be kind of small-scale people, uh, <laughs> a little bit like myself, but it is it is intense training, and my understanding is it involves a lot of water consumption. Um, yes. You know, so kind 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 of interesting. But uh, you know what? What do you say we leave that just like the Independence Day holiday behind us, and let's focus on uh, the market and what's ahead. Um, we're in a what's happening to be a very slow week, despite a lot of big economic data. You know, we got the uh, final June PMI data for uh, manufacturing and for services. We still, as we tape this, have yet to get um, the services index for the U.S. We also haven't gotten the ADP employment report for June or, of course, the big employment report for June as well. So so the second half of the week could be a little more uh Interesting, as we like to say, of course, we're trying to triangulate on the vector of the velocity of the economy and, of course, uh, the employment market and wage pressure. So clearly a lot going on. I will say that what I saw out of the manufacturing PMIs and the non-U.S. key services PMIs, two or three things. First, uh, manufacturing continues to contract new orders, weak, pointing to further contraction ahead, services still carrying the economy uh, but that, too, is slowing. And I think, Bob, that depending on what we get later this week, we'll either get concerns about uh, continued tightness in the labor market or recession. What do you think? Well, Chris, you know, the, um, the meeting minutes just came out about 40 minutes ago from the mm -hmm. last week, from June um, 14th, 15th. And <clears throat> what, what, what um, I was just reading the highlights of it, Chris, and what, what I find is that 
the Fed doesn't seem to be all that worried about the economy softening. In fact, um, the the Fed seemed to you know be inclined to believe that it's not going to soften that much. Possibly a recession later this year. But when you when you see that the the data seems to stack up in favor of maybe a slight um, gain in GDP later on this year. I think I want to say for the first half of the year, Chris, we're we're going to probably come in at about 1.9% for the first half. I think 1.8 in the first quarter. About 2% for the second quarter is where the Atlantic Fed GDP now is sitting at. So you average those two together, you're coming in at about 1.9% for the first half. Um, but the 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 numbers that data that you referenced with the PMIs and so forth kind of you know point to a more of a slowdown that the Fed isn't seeing that happen. At least three weeks ago, they didn't seem to portray that as being a problem. Yeah. So I, I scan those comments, and I, I think it's important to remember that you know when we talk about the economy, just like we talk about the market, it's an evolving story, right? You know, data points tend to be a snapshot in time, which is why we tend to collect these data points, building one upon the other. But you're right. You know, I like as I started to say, I scan the Fed's. Uh, meeting minutes. And and if anything, it seemed that they were a little surprised that the economy held up better than expected. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, and we've been sharing this thought with AAP that, yes, the economy has been holding up better than expected. By now, you know, nine months ago, people thought, oh, we'd be in a recession. But but it has yet to happen. And as you pointed out, um, kind of indirectly, the second quarter GDP numbers actually ahead of the first quarter GDP numbers. So, you know, it just if you think about that, though, and you think of what the Fed recently said about in their updated dot plot, one percent GDP for all of 2023, that means that if we're doing, you know, one point eight, one point nine percent in the first half, we've got to have a meaningful drop in the back half of the year. So I, I think they might be you know, mathematically expecting it more than what they're verbalizing. Yes, and I and I think you you have to um, also recognize that the Fed was wrong in their forecast for GDP in the first half of the year. At least, um, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Bob. Did you say did you say GDP? I thought you said something about inflation being transient. Oh well, there's that too. But I mean, at least <laughs> at least from the December um, uh, meeting. Remember that they they had those projections that the GDP for for 2023 was going to grow at a at a paltry 0.2 uh, for the whole year, um, and that meant that um, we, they were looking at probably weak growth in the first half of the year. So they were you know R O N G wrong. Uh, so so let's I, I think that um, taken as a whole, we're looking at the data. The Fed is looking at the data as well too, and making changes as as they as they come across and as they occur um i think at, at, at the, to a certain extent they have to be hum- humbled and, and believe that listen you know what we're going to make mistakes we're going to be wrong and uh that's just the that's just the way um the way things are um unfortunately that um you know th- they're they're controlling monetary policy as well too <laughs> Very true. Of course they are. So so if we think just think about that for a second, it, it seems as if that the Fed, you know, maybe they were expecting a bigger slowdown in the second half of the year, you know, despite the upward revision in that dot plot forecast that they gave us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I do think that the data that we got um, so far this week kind of supports that. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to me, the one area that I'm kind of watching a little more closely than I have in the past is going to be the housing market. I say that because, 
you know, the the May housing data was much stronger than expected. Uh, and, and I know that there are demographic arguments for that, um, millennials, so forth. But, you know, with the prospect of rates either remaining at elevated levels for mortgages or going higher, my concern is it's kind of, a, you know, that one month could be a blip. And then remember, too, that um, as we learned, you know, over the last several days, consumers will be a little more, you know, strapped, if you will, some some consumers, because of the um, the student debt pause relief going away. And I, I think we'll have to watch that, not just for housing, but overall retail sales and, of course, auto sales as well, where, Bob, I was chatting with one of my neighbors over the weekend. Do you know what the average... Um, auto monthly auto loan monthly payment is auto loan monthly payment i would guess it's about 1100 a month 1100 a month wow yeah. no nobody I mean, nobody would be buying cars then bob but I, I, I mean i mean if somebody you know i, I mean i think uh, i read an article the other day chris had said why you can't buy a car for under thirty thousand dollars i mean i i you know i mean i mean i think the average price of a car has got to be about 50 grand and if they if they only if somebody only puts about 10 grand down, well, there you go. With interest rates where they are, six, seven percent, you're gonna get a, your, your monthly payments eleven hundred. What is it, about six hundred now? It's um it's north of five hundred, but not it's not quite not quite as bad as you know you're pointing out. Although, Bob, you might be shopping in a richer car class than I am. Uh, <laughs> you know, oh, no. you what 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 are you are you eyeing the Porsche? Is that what it is? Because I I'm still a Honda guy. <laughs> Even Hondas are expensive, Chris. I, mean, I, I went out there and saw. I was looking at them just the other day. They're, you know, thirty-five, forty thousand for uh, for a Honda. I mean, you could get a Tesla and get the rebates in there, and probably for the same cost as, as a Honda, right? So, yeah. true. And then, and then, and then the yeah. But then I'd be looking for my charge point charging station. You know that. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, you know what? You know. So before we move on, though, that that context is is kind of interesting, and I say that because and tying this to EVs, you know, I, I think we shared this in a note um, with members last week that Volkswagen says it's working on a low twenty thousand dollar EV car, and I think you know if you could get to that point, even if it's assembled in the U.S., maybe it qualifies. Excuse me for um, tax incentives i mean you could really drop the price of that car yeah and i you know i think that um you know people are people are really you know interested they're curious about these um evs and you know we get start seeing more of them on the road and more different more varieties and, and uh not just uh tesla's but toyotas and and bmws and audis and seeing a lot of these things you know, we have a we have a hybrid. We have a you know, which is a combo, you know, gas and electric one, a Hyundai, which we go out a couple of years ago. I mean, we're saving a lot of saving a lot of money on 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 gasoline with that car. So I think there's a lot of people who are interested in these um, these type of vehicles. And of, and of course, as you said, you know, the more EVs that are out there, the more need there's going to be for charging stations like ChargePoint. Um, and, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll see a lot of that expansion happening over the next couple of years. Yep, next couple quarters, I hope. The couple um, quarters, next couple qu next couple quarters. Well, I mean, you know, the reality we we've talked about this with members, and you know, the, I, I think the expectation was that we would see EV charging take off like a rocket ship in the beginning of 2023, and you know, just like we saw with most of the other stimulus programs out of Washington, including the Biden infrastructure law, you know, there we we have to remember that there's a period of time where states have to petition for funds, they have to submit um, 
plans, approval, then the funds are released, and then things start to happen. Um, so, you know, it should be hopefully be a stronger second half of the year for EV charging dollars flowing. Um, you know, maybe that'll charge things up, Bob. I love it. I love it. So, Chris, I, I, I wanted to ask you about three stocks in, in particular. Two of them are in the, are in the AAP. And <clears throat> the reason why I'm bringing these up is because they seem to be very sticky with the consumer. Um, all three of these names, and again, two of them are, are, are in the AAP. And specifically, I'm talking about Netflix, Amazon, and Costco. Now, obviously, Amazon and Costco are in the Actioners Plus. We had, we're invested in those and have been for a while. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that, you know, here you got these, these all three of these companies um, are, are membership-based, right? I, now, I'm not, obviously, the Amazon is not the only one membership-based. But, of course, if you're not Amazon Prime member, then why not? You know, they, they're... And that's the huge revenue driver for um, revenue and profit driver for for Amazon. Yet we've seen we we we've seen seen hints of, of the economy slowing down. But yet these three companies in particular haven't missed a beat at all. Especially Costco, and I think Costco is one of those that is going to hugely benefit from from the summertime. People coming in and shopping, taking taking share. I think of taking share away from Target, uh, maybe even Walmart. Um, but what, what, I mean, what do you think of these, these three companies here that really have that um, sticky appeal to the consumer, that the consumer just can't live without these particular companies? So uh, for the listener, um, when we take these podcasts, you know, we actually see each other. We're not just talking into the blank air, which is why we hopefully do a good job of not talking over us. And I only point this out because I'm kind of smiling like a Cheshire cat right now with Bob bringing up this topic. And I say that because, as you know, I, I have a thematic bent on things. And one of the um, strategies that we've been kind of putting um, fingers to keyboards, pen to paper, if you will, is something that we call subscription. That's the combination of subscription and membership. Uh, and we, we like those quite a bit. And we're trying to refine the strategy a little bit and perhaps even have a little short uh, model portfolio as well that would talk about companies that have those types of qualities. And, and why do we like them? You know, Bob, you, you kind of hit it upon it that they're very sticky with consumers. Um, it also allows for relatively steady um, profit generation. Uh, you know, we with members, we've talked quite a bit about the expanding footprint for Costco that it is its warehouse location, but how that drives the very sticky, very profitable membership revenue stream. Amazon, as you pointed out, clearly uh, with Prime, and then even Netflix, you know, the vast majority of the business today is uh, subscription-based, even though they are kind of flirting increasingly with advertising. So I, you know, just as a concept, do I like it? I do like ones that have greater barriers to entry. You know, Netflix to me, um, I I know it's one of those uh, darling companies, but I do get a little worried about the content spend and the constant uh, content war that is out there because people do hop for services based on, you know, the latest and greatest content. And even, I don't know if you saw this, Bob, even Andy Jassy over at Amazon is taking a look at what they're spending in Hollywood on, on new content, particularly for TV. So it's it's quite interesting to me that as companies look to kind of tighten budgets, perhaps some content might get cut. But I also do think, though, 
that this advertising business, which by the way, Amazon has as well as does Apple, you know, th this could be, a, you know, another high margin sleeper growth business for some of these companies. No, I, I agree. And uh, as far as um, content is concerned, the, the, I guess I guess what a Andy Jazzy is trying to do with Amazon, he's trying to get ahead of the problem. And the problem being, there's just too much out there, too much um, uh, content out there for the consumers to uh, to consume. And I, I think that that getting ahead of that and just finding the, the highest quality stuff and is going to be you know going to be a huge uh, huge part for them. And don't forget, we got Prime Day coming up this weekend, Chris. I know you're going to be uh, pulling out your um, Amazon Prime points to to buy some things uh, over the weekend. Is that right? Probably my Apple card. Apple card. <laughs> cash back, baby. Cash back. The um, but let me let me let me just um you were saying something about the content side. And and you know, it is interesting because we do have a theme. I don't think we've talked about it with members uh yet. That's content is king. And um it kind of does you know reflect what I just said. But it is interesting though that um even if you look at Disney and what they're doing with their Lucas properties, you look at what they're doing with their Mar Marvel properties, where they're canceling projects, they're questioning things, because I, I do think that there has been, has been, excuse me, a quick race to get some of this great content out, and quality has suffered. I I, I will say that as, as a fan, as a uh, young comic book fan, um, when I was a kid, and I am still young, but when I was a kid. Um, I was happy to see what what uh, came out with Marvel all the way through um, uh, Endgame. Yeah, great for the most part, really good stuff. But I, I do think that some of the movies, and I've talked about this with uh, J.D. Lang quite a bit. J.D. Lang. <laughs> Not K.D. Lang, J.D. Durkin. What am I saying? The Street's own J.D. Durkin. Um you know, how how the movies of late just haven't been that good. They're almost like TV quality movies from a content perspective compared to the big blockbuster movies that we're kind of used to seeing on the big screen. So I, I'm not surprised that, um, you know, uh, Andy Jassy and Amazon might be following suit, i.e. what Disney did. And I think there's going to be an, a greater emphasis on content being, as you say, of high quality rather than, uh, as uh, Bruce Springsteen once sang, Bob, 57 channels and nothing on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, I, hey, hey, Chris, I just wanted to, to double back, circle sure. back, circle mm -hmm. back to that phrase. So uh, I want to circle back one, to one thing you mentioned about the housing market and why, why it's so strong. And I think there's a good explanation for that. And, and um, we, had, we had spoken earlier about interest rates and the yield curve <clears throat> and we, we know that for the better part of a year and a half that in that yield curve has been inverted and um, been steepening with an inversion, but it's actually starting to narrow quite a bit with the inversion being between the two year yield and the 10 year yield. It's, it's about hundred base points now, which still is quite a, quite a significant inversion. But when you think about it, it was about 150 basis points earlier this year. So, so what I'm, what I'm getting at is this, is that, People who are in their homes and have a low interest rate mortgage, like I do, I'm hesitant to want to sell the house and move. I don't. I got to move someplace else and get a bigger mortgage, right? Right. Right. And a bigger mortgage and a bigger interest rate. Why do if I have a two and a half percent interest rate, why do I want to sell my house and go to a four or a four and a half percent interest rate? Um, and I'm going to be paying more money because inventory is still pretty tight. So I think that that's one of the reasons why 
and it's also a reason why the economy is much stronger than most people had expected. I think that it's it's the job market, it's the housing market, are two of the things, and, and modestly the retail sector that has really held up the economy, and why it now probably looks like we're we're not going to get into a recession if we if we we make it that elusive. Um, uh, so, soft so landing. Hang, hang hang on, Bab, Bob. You uh, look bad. Bad. I'm up in Boston. You uh, lost me there. You're 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 saying that the housing market was strong. I, I said the housing market was strong in May. Yes. We we have to watch to see if it continues. You were saying that folks, um, existing homeowners that normally might be inclined to move uh, for various reasons, are probably a little more restrictive, a little more hesitant because not only of the costs, but then I have to move, I have to bear the cost of moving, which is usually pretty high as well. And I'm gonna suffer with probably a higher uh, mortgage rate on a higher mortgage because of the dynamics of the market. So are you saying that you're skeptical that the strength we saw in the May housing starts numbers continues or am I missing something? No, I'm not skeptical at all. I think I think this has been the case for the last year or so. I think as interest rates have had started to climb, I think people were very hesitant to want to sell their home and move mm-hmm. into another place and and again take on a, a mortgage with a higher with a higher interest rate because that interest rate cost is not anything that 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 you're gonna laugh about. I mean, especially if you move up from a two and a half or three percent interest oh, yeah. rate, which is you know. We're at 70-year lows on, on on interest rate. We haven't had these low low rates for such a long time since the 1950s. If you're talking about your interest rate going up, you know, doubling perhaps. I think a couple of, a couple of uh, several months ago, we saw six and a half, seven percent mortgage rates. I think that that makes it it's a huge difference maker for people wanting to leave their home or not. I I totally agree. So it sounds like you're you're questioning whether or not that May strength. Uh, will repeat. Yes, I am. Yeah, okay. I, I, I just I, I just wanted to make sure that I, I was clear so that we can be clear to the members. Um, so, Bob, let, let's talk about the market because you, you know, are quite generously providing some charts uh, throughout the week. Um, typically on Mondays, we, we get a fresh look at the S&P 500. Sometimes you swap in another one, but more often than not, again, it's the S&P 500. Now, um, late last week when we shut the books on June and the second quarter, um, earlier last week, Carly Gardner said to me, boy, you know, I can see 4,500 to 4,520 on the S&P 500. Then, then you might have to watch out. We could see a rollover after that. Helene Meisler had been writing that um, she thinks that we could see a little more short covering that could take us up to um, short term, medium term overbought on the S&P 500. If I kind of mash those two together, that seems to suggest 4,500, 4,520 likely, uh, perhaps by the middle of the month, which would be, you know, in a week to 10 days, just as earnings really gets underway, right? You know, here we are, we've got a slow week. Uh, a week from Friday, however, we get a barrage of banks. Um, and I think that's going to be rather telling for the market. So what are you watching? What what key uh, resistance levels, key support levels are you watching? Yeah, I'm I'm in the same camp as Carly. I think 4,500 to 4,550 is probably the next level of resistance here. Um, the oscillators, which got pretty overbought, Chris, last week on Friday and on Monday, um, have cooled down a little bit today. We're 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 the breath is down. 
um, about. Well, hang, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let me, let me just stop you right there because sure. you, you know, since since we closed uh, the second quarter, we had an abbreviated day of trading, right on the third. No trading on the fourth, and even today, the volumes seem a little light. So, 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 do we have to be careful in reading what? You know the oscillators or other indicators are saying just because of that weaker that that let, let, let's not say weaker let's just say very seasonally slow data yeah i i i, I think it i think that's right chris i think you got to be a little bit um skeptical of, uh, of of these exaggerated moves especially when volume is low i think the volume you know as we as we like to say is like a lie detector test it can't really lie through people buying and and the volume really tells you where the buying and selling is coming in. So, no, I agree with I, I agree with you there. And um, you know, as, as when we see when we start getting closer to earnings season getting underway, of course, as you said, uh, next week we'll we'll get some of the banks coming and reporting uh, next Thursday and Friday, and then the following week we'll get like IBM and Netflix and a few of those names. Uh, when we start getting a little bit closer to earnings season, we'll be able to tell whether some of those earnings have been already been built in to the stock price. And a lot of these stocks have gone up a huge amount over the past, you know, three, four months. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we see, you know, selling on the news, that sort of thing happening. But I will tell you, somebody told me many, many years ago, Chris, you really don't want to be short going into earnings. Well, I think basically tells you that, you know, I mean, as we get started with earnings season, be careful trying to play the other side of the trade. Yes. Okay. So let me let me reel you back. S and P 500 technical take. You're saying you agree 4500. I think you expanded the range to 4550. You said okay. Yeah. But yeah. what about on the downside? If let's just say that the recession concern takes over. Let's say that earnings start off a little weaker than expected. The guidance for the second half of the year may not be as robust. And we've written to members. Um, what is expected again for the S&P 500? Sorry, members, we just had a little bit of a technical glitch there. Sorry for the quick edit. Um, but I was just saying to Bob that, you know, we know that you've got you're thinking 4,500 to 4,550 on the S&P 500 on the upside. Let's talk about the downside because we have a lot of uh, economic data coming at us. We've got earnings kicking up. You know, if those earnings are uh, not up to snuff, guidance for the second half of the year is a little, little weaker than expected, or the economic data, you know, says, oh, geez, Fed is going to continue to tighten, but the economy looks weaker, the, the market could get a little nervous. So, Bob, talk to us as to what that downside could be for the S&P 500. Well, Chris, I'm seeing 4,400, which is just a level that we passed uh, last week as really good support right now, 4,400 on the S&P 500. NASDAQ um, has some good support around 15,000. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I certainly see, you know, currently S&P 500 is trading at about 4,450 or so. Um, so, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, could, we could come down one, one and a half percent. 
I think we have to pay attention to what's happening with volatility. The VIX is still very, very low right here. So the VIX being so low, it's telling us not to expect very, very large moves up or down. Now, if the VIX starts kicking into gear and starts moving up higher, we're going to see larger ranges on the S&P 500. As of right now, I'd say that 4,400 is a good solid level on the downside. If we do break that, though, however, I think even a little bit lower than that, 43.50 and 43.35 is an area where um, we, we should catch some support. But I think unless that 4,400 level breaks, we've seen the moving averages short term, Chris, starting to catch up to that level. And the 10 day moving average is actually um, just underneath 4,400 right now. So I think as long as the, the, the market stays elevated right here, I think those levels of support are going to hold. So let me let me turn the question a little bit. So, you know, just putting together what you said there, especially with the comment on the VIX, it sounds like it would take, um, you know, really unexpected, possibly bad news to have the market break that 4,400 level, perhaps reaching, as you said, 4,350, 4,335. In other words, you know, modest miss or something like that, or something on economic data points a little weaker than expected, probably not going to move the market one way or the other. Is is, is that the way to interpret your comments? Yeah, yes, that's right. And, and I think that right now market expectations are not for anything uh, earth shattering to hit the markets right now. And these expectations being with the VIX at 14% right now. Look, the, the, the markets are expecting volatility for the next 30 days or so, with the VIX being at 14% to be rather benign, uh, with not very big moves either way. So, you know, I mean, today we've, we've seen markets jostling around uh, down 15 handles or 15 points at one uh, one level on the S&P 500. It was up about three or four. So the, the narrowness of this market right now is pretty, uh, pretty stunning at the moment, but it's really being told by the, by the low volatility index, which we've had for the past, you know, several months. So uh, unless that changes, Chris, I don't think we're, we're going to see much uh, much changing on the on so. The so you you just teased my next question, which is, you know, if, if the VIX is hovering around, I think you said fourteen as 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 we're conversing, fourteen ish. Um, where does the VIX have to go for you to start to think that okay, what I thought was going to be modest swings look like they're going to get, you know, first bigger and then potentially large. Right. So um, we need we need to see a change in, in character with the volatility index and maybe spiking up around uh, 16, 17 percent um, and really flipping around. So what I pay attention to, Chris, is not just the VIX, but also the VIX term structure of, of, of future future volatility. So the term structure means I'm looking at volatility futures out for the next six to seven months, and they're pointing higher, which is normally the case when you have a bullish market. But when the VIX, the cash VIX, jumps above those futures, Chris, that's a, a very bearish uh, situation for the markets. It's because people are panicking. They're worried about short-term volatility being increased, and they're reaching for protection. They're buying puts. And so forth, and they're worried that the market uh, volatility is 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 going to create very very large ranges up and down in the markets. And people fear these big ranges, Chris, as when volatility starts to rise, like we had last year and two years ago. Uh, when volatility starts to rise, people start to panic and they start buying buying protection and um, and they start panicking and selling stuff. And you know, it, it's all a vicious circle. Okay.
Okay. All right. So, Bob, um, as we start to move through the data, move through earnings, is, is there anything that you're kind of like, you know, warming up to, starting to get a little more interested in? So, like, for example, last week at AAP, we added Morgan Stanley to the bullpen. And we did that, you know, we the, the portfolio had a position in Morgan Stanley. We exited at higher levels uh, several months back. We were concerned about investment banking activity, uh, particularly with the IPO market, um, you know, drying up, M&A slowing a little bit. That is what happened. But now after a couple IPOs, we want to wait and see if that window is starting to reopen for IPO activity, which would allow, you know, a lot of positive operating leverage to once again be inside Morgan Stanley. Is there is there anything, you know, could be it could be Morgan Stanley, could be something else, anything else kind of on your radar screen? Well, um, as far as banks are concerned, Chris, I, I like Morgan Stanley, the position that they're in. Um, their CEO is going to be retiring later on this year, Jim, Gorm Jim Gorman. Um, also, the fact that they have uh, they made a great acquisition a few years ago, Chris, in E-Trade, and I think it brings the, that brought them a lot of assets, a little bit different than than where they, where, where Goldman Sachs is at. That's a big uh, competitor. But also the fact that um, uh, we, we realized that, the, and even the Fed said this in the minutes that once the uh, the debt ceiling crisis was put behind us, and then also the problems that Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other banks had, once that's put behind us, we I think they can breathe a sigh of relief that the big banks like a JP Morgan or Bank of America, which we have an AP or Morgan Stanley, like you said, we have in the bullpen right now, those 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 banks are be behind or beyond any disaster, any 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 oh. worries that investors would have. Well, we, we saw that, you know, with the recent Fed stress test, right? All 23 passed like yes. magic, like magic. Yeah. Isn't that great? So, I mean, you know what, when you lower the bar far enough, <laughs> you lower that bar, right. And you're not having to do the limbo, right? So. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Okay. Um, but any, anything outside of those areas, Bob, or any economic data point that you're really focused in on? Well, I, I'm really, really focused in on Chris and what the consumer is doing, and, and we, we have a, quite a few names in the portfolio that are focused in on consumer spending. We've got Chipotle, we've got Amazon, we've got Apple, um, we've got Costco, uh, we've got Cody, which is a name that uh, that we recently added to the portfolio. I think it's a fantastic name. Um, you know, we did see some strength in, in in Ulta in their last earnings report, and I think ELF as well, which is you know competes with. With Cody, so I, I think we have a lot of names that are focused in on the consumer, and I think because of the strong job market, and we're going to see probably some more strength in the jobs and wages um, on Friday. I think that that is going to carry over into the summertime. Don't forget, you know, listen, when school has got out, Chris, you know there's back to school sales going on at this at this very moment. Can you believe it? It's the school's only been out. Well, right? so I I I I don't I guess you didn't see this, but I, I shared some stuff that the National Retail Federation talked about uh, just regarding the consumer back to school and the number of folks that are looking to take advantage of digital shopping deals, you know, now. And by now, I mean not only what Amazon's gonna do in Prime Day, uh, but also uh, the competing offers from Walmart. Target and whoever else is doing that, because you know everybody tries to lean into that. Right, and 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 I think the 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 key for some of these retailers, Chris, is were they able to unload a lot of the the inventory that they had from late last year? And I think that that was one of the problems that Targets had 
along with the shrink because they get a lot of theft going on. Apparently, mm -hmm. it's a huge, huge business for some of these uh, thieves out there. Five hundred billion. I think. I think I'm going to say the CEO from Target said five hundred billion dollars in losses from from theft um, in 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 retail business. Something like that. Some huge number. But anyway, they, they, if they've gotten their inventories under control, this is the time of the year where they're getting ready for Christmas. July, August, September is the time where they're trying to figure out what stuff is going to sell during the holidays. And if the consumer is flush with cash coming, out, coming into, the, into the holidays, well, they got to be ready, right? They got to be ready for those, for those sales. This is where I think Amazon has such a huge leg up over other retailers because they, they're really on, on, on point with... Uh, with the with the consumer, they're seeing it, and uh, they're going to see it uh, next week with Amazon Prime Day, and they're going to see a lot of the stuff that's being sold, and they're going to be able to stock up later on this year to try and meet that demand. Do you? So it, it's interesting that you bring this up to me because with the consumer having really shifted what they're buying, and and we we've all read the stories about travel, the stories about eating out, uh, experiences, those sorts of things. Uh, whereas if we look at some of the data, you know, apparel, you know, sales have been soft to say the least department stores as a result have had a tough time, you know, do you have any, what's your degree of confidence that these, uh, retailers that specialize in goods can actually figure out what it is the consumer wants? That's a great question. I, I, I truly think that, um, there's some retailers out there that just just have a, a great edge over the over the competition, you know, and and it and it comes from the top, you know. I mean, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate a name that we have in the in the in the portfolio. Why is Chipotle selling at such a huge premium versus its competition? And it's because um, their CEO is a. a Brian, was it Brian Nagel or something like that? He, he's Brian, he's Brian, Nick, Brian Nichols. Brian Nichols. He came from Taco Bell. He had some great ideas, tried a bunch of new ideas, and they're working. He seems to have a way to, to, to I mean, the Chipotle, he's able to dial into what the consumer really wants. And I think there's some names out there. I mean, I, we'll, we'll talk, you can talk about Lululemon, you can talk about, um, uh, you know, uh, Cody, a few other names like this that seem to be, um, in touch with 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 what the consumers want they're providing it to them and it's showing up in, in in strong sales so the only thing i would point out about cody which is uh, you know possibly slightly different is uh its products are consumables right so granted you know you may not burn through a bottle of perfume very quickly but you know skincare um other products that they have, you know, over time they will be used. So you might be buying them, depending on the individual, three, four, five times a year, right? Very different than buying, you know, something at say the Gap or, um, you know, some other uh, brick and mortar, um, excuse me, stuttering here, brick and mortar apparel companies. So I, I, I do think that's kind of the edge for them. Plus there is the expansion into skincare and some other things. Um, so it is kind of interesting, but I, I am a little concerned about it, about the holiday season now. I, I think you're right that we need to pay attention to those um, level number of jobs being created throughout the summer, obviously. But I am a little wary of what happens, as we talked about a few minutes ago, 
when that uh, student debt pause is over and what that means. Because it could mean for some consumers, you know, $200, $300, that they don't have this month. No, I, I agree, Chris, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to um, defer to history here. Um, up until now, we've never really heard of, of people having a problem with their student debt, and meaning that, you know, maybe they're just- Well, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that, but you have to remember that we've seen, you know, a lot of, cons the consumer has been strong over the last three years coming out of the pandemic in part because they haven't had to pay this. So, so the question is, you know, will consumers have more disposable income? Uh, you know, maybe not because of this. So I, I, the point is, I think it's something that we have to watch very carefully. Uh, we could very well see another shift in what consumers are buying, right? Perhaps there's more trade down, which is why we like Costco, which is why we like Amazon. Right, no, I agree, I, I agree with that. And, and I think that those, those companies right there sitting pretty right now. And then um, again, going back to Chipotle, we talked about this before, the fact that um, supply chains have improved over the past year, year or so, and mm -hmm. they raised prices at the right time. And are they gonna be cutting those prices? Highly unlikely. So your, no. your $16 burrito is not gonna go down to 13 or 14. $16? What in God's name? Are, are, you must be getting a double. You must be doubling your protein. You must be getting guac, and you must be getting something else, because you can walk in there. No, no, and because I, I, you can walk out of there with like a chick, a regular chicken burrito, nothing fancy, for like ten, eleven bucks. I love. I, I put guacamole on it. I put the corn salsa. Sometimes I go double tortilla, Chris, because the stuff's gonna leak right out of there, and so I got. I, I, I gotta have it. So, and this is why this is why you have multiple tennis matches to play. <laughs> the um, all right, one uh, one last thing, Bob, um, before we get out of here. So we we do, as we teased earlier, have a rash of economic data coming, um, and I'm going to ask you this in a very pointed way. After reading the Fed minutes for that meeting, do you think the Fed is going to put more emphasis on? the employment data and wage data that we get for June, or will it be the core CPI reading that we get next week? Yeah, I think the CPI reading is gonna be the more important re uh, <clears throat> number for the Fed, Chris. I, I think core core numbers, I think they're supposed to be slightly down, slightly down, but but still elevated. The, the headline number coming in at about 5%, which is much sharply higher than where we were um, last month, the last month's number came in very, very low. I think it was about two, two and a half percent annualized. Um, but I, I, I want to say that um, it, it's about uh, the Cleveland Fed now casting, Chris, uh, coming in at about 5% roughly um, on the headline number, not the core number. Right, right. Yeah. So so I, I that core number is certainly far more elevated than, than would be a comfort level for the Fed. So I think that that's a number going to be a much more important um, I, I think that they're they're basically surprised and amazed about how strong the job market is in the in this high interest uh, rate environment and um, supposedly supposed to be slowing um, economy here. But if wages are up, I think that that's going to be a concern. And but I think really to answer your question, the number next week is going to be a little bit more important for the Fed. Then they meet on the uh, 25th and 26th next uh, later this month, Chris. Yep. 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 Okay. Well. 
I will be perusing the uh, ISM services and the S&P global services data for June. You know, the Fed is really concerned about inflation in the services economy. So I'll be very, very curious to hear what those respondents have to say. So, Bob, with that, any parting words? Nope, that's it, Chris. It's always great to be with you and, um, and, and share some, uh, some thoughts with the members of uh, Actionless Plus. Uh, we always enjoy having you, Bob. Just uh, a word of caution for you, Bob. Uh, do not enjoy your burrito before you play those tennis matches today. No, we don't want we don't want you to leave anything on the court, as they say. Going to be ninety degrees out to, uh, later on tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, Chris, and, and and I certainly even even if it's six thirty seven o'clock at night, it's still pretty darn hot out here and humid. So, yuck. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right, Bob. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Chris.